Hey, everyone. <clears throat> well, it's awesome to see you here tonight. Uh, I, I think we're going to have another great night. We have a powerful testimony coming up here in uh, just a moment, then a, a great lesson on uh, understanding more about our identity in Christ. And uh, then we're going to have our group time and, and come back and worship at the end. Now, I, I really do encourage you, try to get back here to worship at the end. That's really powerful and uh, just really a sweet time. So uh, if you, when, when the groups are out there, uh, come back. But um, right now, what we're going to do is um, I'm going to invite Lou McQuaig to come up. And Lou, where's Lou? Lou, right here is Lou. And um, Lou shared uh, some of his story with me the other night. And when he did, I thought, well, this is really powerful and it really fits with the theme of, uh, of, of everything that the Lord's teaching us here. And so I just want to ask you to open your hearts and receive from the Lord what he has to say through Lou. And I'm going to pray for him first and, and pray for us too, okay? So let's just open our hearts together and um, Father, we're thankful for, for your love for us. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love for Lou. And we pray blessing on him right now as he shares uh, his story, part of his story with us tonight. And uh, we, we open our hearts up to receive from you what you have for each one of us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Here you go, Lou. Okay. Thank you, Van. Couple, let me get right at it. A couple of weeks back, um, we had um, one of our Wednesday night lessons. It had to do with our relationship with our father, our daughter and son relationship with our father. Okay. Like a lot of you, they had no idea what the lesson is going to be uh, every Wednesday we come. Um, <clears throat> And as I was sitting in the, uh, down there in the chair with my wife, um, when they kept saying the relationship with your father, think about it. What kind of relationship did you have? Uh, I said, I didn't have one. I didn't, know, I didn't know my father. My father abused me. My father beat me. My father locked me up. He abandoned me. He tortured me. He disrespected me. But then I realized I wasn't talking about my earthly father. I was talking about my heavenly father. You see, for so many years, I knew there was a God. I knew there was Jesus. I knew there was heaven. I knew there was hell. But I really didn't know that relationship with my heavenly father. Over the years, it became an impact for me. Because as a result of my abuse from my father, they tormented me. They locked me up in my room many nights. Wouldn't eat. No clothes. He abused me by way of letting my stepmother beat me. I lost count how many times she put me in the hospital. I still carry scars. Put a gun to my head. Threw anything that she could. Abusive language. She hated me. She let that be known. But you see, I understand now why my father abandoned me. He himself was abandoned at the age of nine. His mother dropped him off on the streets in my hometown. So he himself didn't know how to be a father. But there's one thing I took out of all this abuse over the years, and I recovered, is I learned 
how not to be a father like that. I went on to become a father of three grown children, two boys and a girl. And then I know I did the best I could. Why? Because I remember the abuse I took at the hand of my father. But I want you to remember one thing. There is hope. There is hope in the fact that your Heavenly Father, He didn't give up on you. My father gave up on me. At the age of 15 years old, he removed me from my home. He put me in a boarding room on a farm where he worked at. Dropped me off with a bag with one pair of pants and one shirt. Didn't have a lock on the door. Had a window where I could get some air. No TV, no clothes, no food, no money. And from then on, I had to teach myself how to raise myself. But there was somebody that was watching after me the whole time. And that was my Heavenly Father. It was powerful. That night when I heard that lesson, it touched me. I couldn't stop crying. And I know the Holy Spirit was talking to me to come and talk to Van. And I wanted to let you know. Don't despair. For those of you who might have suffered at the hands of an abuse, take heart. There is hope. God is awesome. I know that now. It's, it took a few years. But I've always understood now what my Heavenly Father has done for me. He has never forsaken me. Through good or bad. He's taken the worst of me and molded it into something great. I know I'm great. I raised three kids. And I did the best I could. And I know that my children are proud of me. My father has passed on now. So has my stepmother. But before they passed, two weeks before my mother, stepmother died, we talked on the phone. She asked for forgiveness. And I told her, that's already been done. You see, part of healing is the act of forgiveness. Six weeks later, two weeks later, my stepmother died and went to Florida to bury her. I came back home. Six weeks later, I got a phone call. My father passed. So within six weeks' time, I had to bury two parents. Last words my father spoke to me in the nursing home was that he loved me and he wanted to see me again. You see, those are the words I wanted to hear out of my own father. But you see, I know my heavenly father loves me because I feel it in my heart. Every moment of the day from the time I get up until the time I, I go to bed, I feel, I feel the power of God. My message tonight to you is that I hope out of everything you, you just heard, don't despair. Don't give up. Because there is hope. And your Heavenly Father will never, ever give up on you. If any of you ever doubted just how awesome God is, take a look at what he's been doing for 59 years right here. God bless you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Lou.
So there, there is healing for our hearts, and it, it really does start with understanding our Heavenly Father, as Lou just shared with us. I mean, forgiveness. Thank you, Lou. That, that was powerful. And um, I'm sure all of us are, are here wanting to hear more at some other point in time. Um, what we're going to do right now, uh, how many of you were, you were here last week, weren't you? This is kind of like a return group. And um, there's something really powerful about us blessing other people. As Lou shared about his dad telling him he loved him at the end, and I want to see you again, that, that was a blessing. And there's, there's nothing more powerful than a parent's blessing in our lives, as humanly speaking. But to be blessed by each other is really a powerful thing as well. And so what we're going to do right now is another of the activations that we, we approached last week. And um, remember, what we're going to do is speak to each other encouraging words. And, and, and uh, as we do that, there are, uh, what we're doing is learning how to speak prophetically to each other. And um, I shared with you last week that we, uh, th- there are many different ways that God will speak to us. And you know, one of the key things to remember is God wants to speak to us. He just desperately wants to speak to us. And, and that's why what I'm going to describe to you again works. Because he wants to speak to us. And if I'm willing to open my heart up and say, well, okay, God, speak to me. Just show me something and speak to me through that. He's going he's gonna to do it. And uh, so object prophecy is what we're going to practice again. And that is where you look at the person and you see something on them or you look past them and you see something behind them and, and it, it captures your attention and you take that and you speak it to them. Like, uh, I see that light right there, and I see Grant right here, and um, and and I put the two together. And and I'm and, and if if what I'm about to say isn't really a prophetic word, it's still an encouraging word. All right, but I'm just going to say, Grant, you're you're a light. Uh, you know, God's put light in you, and that's one of the reasons why you're doing so well. In uh, your teaching profession, that's one of the reasons why you're so valued and and and, uh, and and advancing in that because God's put light in you and you let that light shine out of you. And not only do the students like that, but their parents like that, and the other the other teachers see that in you. And I, I just bless that in you. So just bless that in you, Grant. Um, I don't. I'm going to do what we do, Grant. Does that make any sense to you? Okay. So that makes sense. That hits. That that's a positive hit right there. It uh, in, encourages and, and, it, and it brings life. So um, there, there was one time we were in, in School of Kingdom Ministry. We were doing this exercise, and I went to pray for somebody, and they had a necklace on, and somehow the necklace it had a wide a wide piece at the bottom. Somehow it got twisted so that the chain crossed. And, and I'm going up to this person thinking, what am I going to pray for them? And I saw that, and I, and I just said, you know, you're at a crossroads right now, and you have a choice to make, and there's two different ways you can go. And, and just talked about that with the person, and it was just right on target. It, was just, it just spoke to their heart. So um, my encouragement to you is going to be this. Um, be bold. Be positive, because if you're positive, at the very least, you're just saying an encouraging thing to somebody. 
And when you learn to do this, then you start to learn when the Holy Spirit is breathing on it, and he starts to breathe through you when you speak words, and, and, and you speak things where the person's going to say, that really makes sense, that really means something to me. Okay, so um, I'm going to ask you again in, in a moment to stand up, find somebody that hopefully you don't know, and just give this word of encouragement to each other. And um, don't spend a lot of time on it. Just, just do it. Ask them in, does it make any sense? And then we'll come back to our seats, and then we have a great message, okay? I'm going to pray first right now, all right? <laughs> See, that was a prophetic word Lori had for me. And then once you give your word, just bless it in the other person. If it makes sense to them, then just say, okay, I bless this. Like Grant, I, I just bless that in you. I bless the light in you and the way God has designed you and your heart for Jesus and your heart to release that to other people. And just know that when you're speaking to other people, that light is flowing through you and blessing them. So, amen. So, Father... Uh, we just uh, we, we come to you right now. We want to hear from you. We want to learn how to minister to each other in your power and life. And so, Holy Spirit, come right now and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, find someone you don't know, and uh, one of you go first, and then ask them, does that make sense? And remember, keep it short. So we have a, a, a message tonight that's going to be awesome, and um, it, our speaker tonight is going to tell about himself himself, but um, see if you agree with me on this. I, I think his name sounds like, like a sports figure's name, and so uh, I asked Grant to introduce him. Grant has a real knack for this. And so, Grant, would you come up and introduce our speaker tonight? All right. He just told me about this. So, please welcome the starting lineup for Vineyard Northwest, John Caden Camp. Are we good? Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure if that makes sense, but... Okay, <laughs> so I'm John Kamp. I'm a part of Cincinnati House Group. I'm also an intern here at the church, and I am so thankful to be a part of this church. I absolutely love everything that this church holds and has for individuals who call themselves members or just people who come through. Um, so as fitting, I thought it would be good to start with a joke, considering uh, this church is known for starting with jokes. So there's a Christian school. And at lunchtime at this school, a teacher had placed by the apples a sign that said, only take one, God is watching. So a student saw that sign and decided, okay, I'm going to put a sign next to the cookies. He puts a sign next to the cookies and it says, take as many as you like. God's watching the apples. <laughs> so that's, that's the only one I have. Um, as good as it sounds, you know. So... As a recap from last week, um, for those of you that were here, um, we saw Aaron Ross bring a great message about uh, seeing others 
as valuable because we are valued. And so as a continuation of that, I will be speaking on destiny, honor, and courage. And it's interesting, a great place to begin talking about this, talking about honor specifically, is uh, talking about our honor is by looking at what our value looks like and what humility looks like. So, C.S. Lewis says this about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. And if we continue with that mind, that thought process, um, the root word for humility is actually humus. It comes from Latin. And the word humus means earth, soil, or low. So that'll come back up later in this talk, and I'll explain more with that. So what does this look like? Humility is not self-depreciation. We do not look at ourselves as lower or less than. We do not look at ourselves as worthless. Um, That is not true humility. Humility is also not demeaning ourselves so God looks better. This is interesting because we usually think that we have to demean ourselves in order to make God look better for some odd reason. Why, why do we believe that we have to demean ourselves created by the creator of the universe? He doesn't really need our help to make him look better. You see all the, mag, the, the majesty of his creation. We see this in everything, in water, in how our bodies are formed. So he doesn't need us to hate on ourselves in order for him to look better. That's kind of counterintuitive. We are no competition for God. What humility does look like, in fact, is realizing where our value comes from. Our value and humility is actually rooted in the gifts God has given each of us. One writer had found 28 different gifts within scripture. Not that we act in all of them at once, but God has given each of us a gift through which we can serve others and serve him. Many believe that diverting the praise, that diverting the praise that we receive from others honors God somehow. But what is actually happening is we're demeaning the gift that he's given us. It is false humility to say, oh, that was all God. That was all God. You know, if somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, John, great message. And I say, oh, no, no, that was all God. Truth be told, God could do a lot better job of explaining this than me. (laughs) So if I'm lucky, as my dad would say, it's about 2% God. A good illustration of kind of receiving honor and praise and God receiving that honor and praise comes from an illustration that Chris Valentin spoke about. um, That is the artist and the masterpiece illustration. What this looks like is if a friend of ours painted a great picture, say Cammie, for instance, if she, if she painted a great picture, like usual, we would not say, that picture looks terrible. Why would you create such an awful thing? That does not make the artist feel good about themselves. If we were to say, what a horrible picture, and then we look at them, and how does that praise them at all? When in fact, when we praise somebody for the gifts that's within them, and the God that's within them, and the God that made them, God is receiving praise. 
So how should we value ourselves? A good understanding of this is the God of the universe that created heaven and earth would not have died for trash. So why do we consider ourselves that way? Nor would he have put Jesus in a body if our bodies were trash. So a great verse for this comes from Psalm 8. If you guys would like to turn with me. Psalm 8, verse 3 through 6. Give you guys a second. For some reason, it seems to be easier to look it up in a Bible than on the phone or iPad. This is what David says. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Wow. Wow. So why do we dishonor the price that Jesus paid by accepting worthlessness and a mindset of, oh, I'm trash? We're children of the God who created the stars who created a star larger than our sun, who created many stars larger than the sun that is millions times larger than the earth. So we demean ourselves by saying, oh, I am so lowly, I am so terrible, I'm not good at things. That's not the thought that God wants us to have about ourselves. How does this play into honor? If we grasp the honor that God gives us, forsaking pride, we will naturally honor others. We will be able to see others as the price that Jesus paid for them. And Christians as family instead of competitors. We won't see each other in competition. We will work together as a body, as Christ intended us to. One of the main ways we learn to honor is by honoring God, his words, and others and their words relationally. A good story that I heard from Larry Christensen, passed down to my father and then to me. I'm not sure if some of you guys have heard this story. It's a true story. Um, This actually illustrates it well, and it's a good story. So there was a convent, and this convent had a revival going on. Many people's lives were being changed. Many people were coming to know the Lord so rapidly so that they needed more space. They needed more space. They just didn't know what to do. Next to this convent, there was an orchard. And the farmer that owned the orchard was a pretty hard man. So these nuns who, while this revival was going on and God was using them, they also had different things going on in their lives. Some of them were dealing with bitterness. They were imperfect people. Some of them were dealing with relational problems. But God was still using the revival and using them nonetheless. So as they realized they needed more space, they went to God and they asked God, Lord, what do we do about more space? God, 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 God plainly said to them that 
they would receive the orchard if they went and talked to the owner about the price. So, happily, they decided to go to the farmer and ask him for the orchard. They go to the farmer, they say, hey, would you, would you mind selling us this plot of land? We're having this revival going on, all these different things are changing in people's lives, and your orchard's conveniently right next to our convent. The farmer looked at them and said, you will never, ever have my orchard as long as I'm alive. You will not have it. It belongs to me. It belongs to my family. We've always had it. Never. So the nuns, distraught, go back to their convent, to their housing, upset, and they spoke with one another and they went back to God and they said, God, you said, you said we were going to get this orchard. You said we were going to get this thing for us and we need this. You know this. And how God responded was very interesting. God responds to the nuns and he says, the attitude you see in him, let me fix in you. So these nuns took that upon themselves. They realized that, okay, we have a lot of bitterness in our lives. We have a lot of issues with our families. We're holding on to things that the Lord doesn't want us to hold on to. So they committed to themselves, and for about a year, they allowed the Lord to change their lives, and he did. Revival happened externally, but revival also happened internally for these nuns. A lot of their lives were changed. Bitterness released. Families reestablished. A year into this, they came together, they had a feast, and they realized how content they were. How they, they would make use of the space that they had. And when they had this feast, they said, God, thank you. Thank you for the space that we have. Thank you for changing our lives. We're happy with this. Mind you, this is a true story. The next day, they received a letter in the mail from the farmer. The farmer said in his letter, something has happened to my heart. I feel as though I should give you this plot of land. The farmer gave the nuns the plot of land and the revival continued. So what is the purpose of this? Why is this, why is this so important? We see from this story, from this true story, that the first thing that happened is the nuns honored the thoughts and feelings of the farmer beyond their own expectations. They thought they received something from God. They went out and they decided to speak with this farmer. Farmer responded. He has free will. <laughs> and he, they still honored his words. They turned around and they said, well, God said this, he said that. They go back to the convent and they continue to honor God's original words. They honored him by going to him again and saying, God, this is what you said and this is what happened. So the first thing they did was they honored the farmer and his words and his feelings and then they honored God's words and God's feelings. Why is this important? Well, we see from this story that when we honor God and his words and we honor the words of others and the feelings of others beyond our own expectations, we actually make room for the Holy Spirit to move. When we actually honor and value God and others in true humility, we make room for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. So this goes back to the word humus, which means earth, soil, and low. 
Why is this important? Because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, (laughs) don't find me in the parking lot. Um, I'll probably be driving away pretty quick. Um, That we can have good humility and we can have bad or false humility. Likewise, we see from the parable of the sower and the seed that we can have good soil and we can have bad soil. Often, we are afraid to release control of an area of our lives because we fear what true humility might look like in that area. A good example of this in my life would be finances. Recently, I had gone through a season where I had trouble giving my finances up to God. I had trouble handling my money. I didn't know what I was going to do with my next paycheck. I still made every paycheck, and, and I, I just by the skin of my teeth. I don't really understand that phrase because teeth don't have skin. But I don't even know if I said that right. But I came to realize that God wanted humility in this area of finances. So I asked him, God, what does that look like? He said, I want you to be transparent about what your finances look like to people. Some of you guys know this, so I'm going to be transparent with you guys. There was times where I had $3 in my bank account within the past three months. The following week, I, ha- I would have close to $200 in bills coming out. There was times where my car was falling apart. Tire popped. Changed, I needed to change my oil. All kinds of different problems going on. And I just didn't have the money to do it. Another thing that the Lord changed in me was being able to ask for help. Sometimes the humility in an area of our life is just asking for help. Being transparent with your colleagues, being transparent with your family and friends. And thank God that I have a graceful father who is like, okay, you're a struggling human being. You need some help. You have to pay me back twice fold. He never said that. (laughs) Still owe money. (laughs) But it's interesting that I gave this area of my life over to God and then My dad, a couple months ago, had a prophetic word for me. He said, John, soon you will have a job that comes to you. And the Lord doesn't want you to guess whether it's him or not. That it will just be known to you that it is him. About a week ago, while I had different opportunities in different places, it just didn't seem right, and I pursued some opportunities. About a week ago, I got a call. I worked as a marketer, a contracted marketer for State Farm last year. I received a phone call, I think it was last Sunday, that they had a manager position open up for this marketing company. I was surprised. I was like, okay, I'll try this out. I don't have a degree. I have close to a degree. I have close to three degrees. And lots of debt, so. (laughs) I explained that to them, and they're like, well, you know, you seem well-versed in this area, and, you know, we trust you, and you seem like a good person, and we have other interviews, and the same day that I had my interview, I got a phone call, and they said, do you have anything on your record? And I said, I was in a park after hours. They're like, we can't hire you. (laughs) I was like, okay. Thanks for the call. No, they actually gave me the position. (laughs) 
And this job is beyond what I could even ever process financially. I'm afraid to walk into this position because it's just, it doesn't make any sense how I got this. But what I see is I allowed myself to step into a position to where the Lord could make good soil in my life. Where the Lord can actually follow through with giving 10, 50, 100 fold beyond what we could ask, think, or imagine. When we release control to God, he is able to create good soil in us. What does this do? What does good soil do? At the least, we see fruit-bearing trees are able to be made. We, don't, we see healthy fruit come from trees that are in good soil. So, what does fruit look like in our lives? Let's turn to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you guys would like to turn with me, or you can stare at me. Those are your options. 70% of you are staring at me. still hear some rustling. I'll wait. I always get lost finding Galatians anyway. So if we have good soil for the Lord in our internal environment, what do we receive? Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. I'm going to tell another personal story to kind of relate with this. My 2015 was not something desirable for people's lives. I grew up in the church. Both of my parents, pastors, the church in Madisonville. And loved both of them. Dearly blessed in, in that for sure. And in about, I want to say 2011, my mom contracted ovarian cancer. She battled with this for about three and a half years. And 2015, January, began with her passing. A month prior to that, her mom passed. If we take a couple months later, I had my cousin pass. Um, some of you guys might know her, Lauren Hill, the basketball player. She passed. A month after that, a friend of mine got in a car wreck on 270, or 75 North and was killed. A friend of 20 years. And prior to this whole year, I had kind of um, had a close relationship with this girl um, from Canada, interestingly enough. And I developed this relationship with her, and um, we actually got engaged in 2014. Following the kind of the destruction, per se, of my life, 
In April of 2015, me and her were discussing as emotionally possible as we could kind of what was going on. I was in a really emotionally numb state. I could not, I could not even process what was going on in my life. Um, that might have given to some of what had happened. And, and me and her decided to split up. Our engagement was broken off in April. Following that, I had a job as a delivery driver. This is just an emotional overload on you guys. Sorry. It keeps going. It just, just gets better. Or worse. So, I had, had a job as a delivery driver. Donato's. Very expensive. $17 for a large pepperoni. And I got in a car wreck. In that car wreck, I totaled my car. Therefore, no car, no job. I lost my car, I lost my job. Following that, I had decided to go into nursing school. Um, I thought I was getting married. I had made the decision the year prior. I thought I was going to nursing school. I was like, this is the best, most stable position a person can take. If they're going to be in two countries working, you know, nurses are needing everywhere, you know. You know, maybe I can save some people. (laughs) Bad joke. (laughs) You know, considering how many people are dying in my life, let me just learn how to save them. That's really bad. Regardless, I go into nursing school. I get into nursing school. I begin, there's a clinical period, if some of you guys know about nursing school and how it works. And to get into the clinicals, you had to go through all these hoops. You had to get your chart. You had to have all your immunizations, all of that. And a lot of that was not filled out by my pediatric doctor. He retired. He sent all of his everything to another part of the state. Couldn't find him. Couldn't find my charts. Couldn't find anything. Missed two days of clinical hours, which is 10 hours apiece, and had to withdraw from nursing school. So this is, I believe, September And my dad's really trying to get me riled up. He's really trying to inject some some fuel into my behind. Wasn't working. I just looked at him and said, Dad, I want 2015 to end. I'm done with this. I can't. I'm tired. But it's interesting that whole time, the whole time, I really... Didn't feel like questioning God. Really odd. I don't know how it works entirely. I didn't feel like getting angry with God. I had in years prior, but this time, this year, I just kept hearing the Lord say, abide. 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 Stay close to me. Stay close to me. As I did this, the fruit of the Spirit, man, it was getting a lot of watering. The fruit of the Spirit was getting a lot of work, a lot of work done. A lot of work was being done in my heart. The fruit of the Spirit is able to give us strength beyond our circumstances. When our external environment, when we're grasping for peace out here and and love and joy, majority of the time we all know that's not going to happen. But thank you, Jesus, for dying. Thank you for dying that I can identify myself with you. 
Thank you that I'm a new creation and, and those things that I once reached for out here, I can find in here. As a new creation, we are capable of accessing these gifts and these fruits within ourselves. Like I said, when what's outside of ours, ourselves, we cannot. We are incapable of finding those things. We can live permanently in this place to overcome any circumstance in our life. I'll ask you this. If you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you have all those things going on internally, what externally can really take you? If all of that is going on, you are nearly unshakable. Our external environments seem to overcome us when our internal environments are lacking in, that, in one of those areas. We lose patience. We lose kindness. We lose self-control. We lose things that we thought we had. And so we lose them to our external environment, and so we search for them in our external environment rather than looking for them from the one who gives them. And he's in here. I know part of my message is courage. And personally, I think that's where courage comes from. Courage comes from the inside. When our external environment wants to rip every amount of courage that it could ever get out of us, when things are collapsing, jobs are being lost, family, friends are dying, we have to find the courage from the Lord, from the fruit of the Spirit that dwells within us. These things are eternal. It says in another place in Scripture, neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor demons can ever separate us from the love of God. And isn't it interesting that the love of God looks a whole lot like the fruit of the Spirit? They're pretty similar. When we stay in that place of love at all times, Sometimes we have to run back to it. Sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we don't have those things. But we don't have to search very far for it. Sometimes it just takes sitting down in a quiet place and saying, Holy Spirit, come. I need you. Submitting ourselves to that. Allowing the, the good soil to be mulched and to be kind of turned over, allowing that hard soil to just be broken up by his love and the outpouring of his spirit. Those things are eternal. And so I've come to the understanding that our destiny began when we were crucified with Christ. Our destiny began as soon as we had said, yes, Jesus, take over my life. You are Lord. Our destiny began as soon as we got dunked in the water, pulled back out, felt like we were going to drown. Hopefully not. Our destiny began that soon. Our destiny does not begin at our physical death. I don't believe that. 
We are storing up heavenly treasures at all times. So I'm thankful that I got this opportunity to speak with you guys. I hope it was impactful and empowering. Sorry if it was fairly serious. But um, thank you guys. Yeah. Just pray a release of peace. Yeah. And um, I, I didn't know I was allowed just to pray. Open your heart right now. <laughs> Pardon me. Nothing. I said and, I didn't uh, know I was allowed to pray. Why don't we all stand? Yeah. And uh, just you know, I'd encourage you hold your hands out like this. It's symbolic of expectation, like God's been getting ready to drop a present out of heaven, and you're getting ready to catch it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, John. Yeah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that your gifts are eternal. Thank you for the revelation of Jesus. Thank you for the revelation that these things we can have in our grasp at all times, that we can be courageous in any circumstance. And I just bless them tonight, Father God, with that revelation that you would just begin to unlock it and unpack it in deeper ways in their lives, God. That your peace and your love and your joy would just overflow into each of these individuals' hearts, God. Just a deeper revelation of your love and your presence, Father. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, let's go to our groups now. We have 45 minutes. Uh, Come back as close as you can to quarter after, okay? And we'll worship.